This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. It is a T-Watts and TR edition of the BOL Pod. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com. Alongside site publisher Tim Watts, it is a Wednesday, April the 12th. We got a lot to get into on today's program. Spring football, the NFL draft is right around the corner as well. So some football heavy talk on the show for you today. And Tim Watts, I'm going to guess you're an NBA guy too. So I'm going to guess you were up a little bit late maybe last night watching LeBron and the Lakers. Would I be accurate in that assessment? Yeah, you know, I love the West Coast because, I, you know, everybody once everybody goes to bed, uh, I kind of have the house to myself or at least the kids are in their own room. And I get to to watch sports, you know, with them, you know, watch sports anyways. But this time I can watch it with no distractions. So I'm always a West Coast guy. Last night's game was pretty good. The Lakers won in overtime. Um, you know, I'm one of those guys that question the officiate when it comes to the Lakers. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was questionable last night at times, but I mean, it was, you know. It was a really good game for three quarters. It was a very ugly fourth quarter. Very, very. It's like 16 to 9 at one point. The Lakers were ahead. It's just not good basketball. But there was a lot on the line. Those guys were competing hard. I mean, they were, you know, had that playoff atmosphere. It's a big game because if you lose that game, you lose that 7-8 game. Um, I'm sorry. You, yeah, you lose the 7-8 uh, game. Now you got to go win another game against the, you know, the 9 or 10 winner. So you win. Mm-hmm eight game and you get the seven spot um you know and i'm not sure you want the seven spot you know i'd be curious what nba guys it's the grit it's the it's memphis now that they get right the lakers I'd rather if memphis is right i would much rather play denver than memphis mm-hmm. that's just me um mm-hmm. memphis still has to get right after the job thing but yeah i was up a little bit late but nothing i'm not used to you know who else was up late watching that game those gamblers you know those folks in vegas and speaking of vegas what about it tim Bryce Young, once again, the betting favorite to be the number one overall pick in the 2023 NFL draft coming up here in just a couple weeks. Yeah, you know, we discussed this before, and I don't know if he's going to go number one, um, but I do know that there's never really been a clear-cut number one with the media. You know, it's always like Trevor Lawrence is a number one, and then all of a sudden the discussion starts getting like maybe he's not or whoever it is for the most part. Just to get, I mean, you can't, it's hard to say Bryce Young's number one. The media stories just aren't there that you want up until that point. So there's always a controversy. Um, I've seen Anthony Richardson, no, Richardson number one. I've certainly seen Stroud number one. Um, Bryce has been one number one a lot. Not I, a lot. I've never thought it was going to be a shock if Bryce went number one. Um, most of the people I talked to said the same thing. And, uh, of course, the Stroud-Georgia game is the one I think a lot of the naysayers referred to the most that, that sort of makes him better. But, you know, then again, you can look. I, I don't think NFL teams are drafting because of one performance in one game either. So, yeah, it's good to see Bryce up there. I mean, he's going to be a high pick like we always knew. Um, and I'm excited about the draft because there does seem somebody's really going to reach for a quarterback where history tells us 
somebody's really going to stretch out there for a quarterback and uh, be picking in that top five a year or two from now again. <laughs> yeah, Mel Kuyper Jr. in his latest mock, his two-round mock there uh, at ESPN 4.0, this draft edition for Mel, somebody smartened Mel up because he hasn't really had Bryce, I don't think, much, if at all, as the number one overall pick to the Carolina Panthers. But here in the last mock, he has Bryce there. And I guess it's maybe Schefter and Mortensen and the reporting that they've been able to do there at ESPN.com that have smartened Mel Kuyper up. But yeah, you talk about reaching for quarterbacks. I think some people are going to view Bryce as a reach. I don't think we do as much, but certainly there's going to be that faction out there that looks at him in that light. And then forget about Bryce. I mean, Mel's got four quarterbacks going one through four. He's got Bryce, C.J. Stroud, I think, is it is it is it Richardson third, maybe? And then Levis fourth? Richardson third, yeah. I mean, th- those are three of those four, I think you could say, are reaches. If you just want to talk about tape, you know, week in, week out tape, I've said it before, Bryce is the, the least of the stretches, the least of the reaches out there. But these yeah. other three guys, and especially Levis and Richardson in the top four? Oof. Yeah. I mean, the Tennessee side Titans with Anthony Richardson, um, the Colts with Will Levis. I mean, that's, that's yeah, that's going to be, it's going to be interesting. I mean, these guys very well could be, again, drafting up here in the top five in the next couple of years. I mean, <laughs> the quarterback, especially with Mahomes, I think we kind of always knew it, but I think Mahomes just flipped the script that, Hey, you got to have an elite quarterback to win the Super Bowl. I think a lot of us really knew it anyways. You needed a good quarterback. Um, but, um, you know, I think that when with Mahomes and the, the Chiefs flipping around and that offense becoming what they were, I think it really became where teams said, because, I mean, again, Mahomes went, what, 10th? Same year Deshaun Watson went mm-hmm. 11th. You know, so there was guys that, you know, that if you can imagine that now, if you can imagine Mahomes in this draft or Deshaun, um, you know, that's how that's how different things have changed. So but they're going to reach and they're going to go, you know, they're going to they're going to go up there and get it. Now, the teams behind them, the teams behind them, they're the ones that are going to reap the benefits. A they're going to get a lot of value, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. And if you look, I mean, you start looking at, you know, the fifth pick to the Seahawks, uh, regardless of what happened off the field. He's a heck of a defensive tackle. Will Anderson six to the Lions, you know, matching him up with, you know, Aiden, Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, those guys normally are in that talk for the top three or four. So you're getting them, uh, you know, borderline top five and outside the top five. So there's a lot of guys are going to get. They're going to thought teams are going to benefit from this getting, you know, not sexy guys. Of course, the quarterback's sexy, and that's what everybody wants. But you're going to see guys get, um, you know, go up get those quarterbacks, and other guys are going to catch guys falling. That's really going to help their team. There's a reason you see a lot of the same teams year in and year out drafting in that in that what is it 32 to 20 spot they're pretty mm-hmm. consistent at taking what what's left you know best I mean? player yeah, yeah just i mean the you know the one that stood out to me that's just did it the you know maybe the best were the steelers i mean they had so many great picks between 20 and you know you know they even got tj watt at like the 30th pick or something absurd so i mean those guys are sitting you know sitting there takes a lot also you don't have a lot of pressure drafting near the bottom or in the second half of that first round the first you know everybody's watching everything you do in that first round and they're looking for something to sell season tickets and sell jerseys you know those quarterbacks you know tend to do it 
timing is everything too, right? Because when you think about Will Anderson right now, and you see him at six overall to the Lions in Kuiper's latest mock, and you think back to a year ago, would Will Anderson have been the number one overall pick last year, Tim, coming out after his sophomore year as compared to this year when you got some quarterbacks that teams apparently like a lot more than they liked last year's batch? I mean, my Jags took Trayvon Walker number one overall last year. And when I think about that, especially right now, and I think about Will a year ago or even this year, timing may have hurt Will Anderson and all this too. I mean, it's all about when the quarterbacks come and, you know, when they're, where they're viewed by teams. And yeah, I think last year I would have been pissed if the Jaguars had taken Trayvon Walker over Will Anderson last year. Last year was like top five or six guys were defensive guys. If I remember. Yeah. Sauce Gardner. Hutchinson. Yeah. Uh, What's his name from LSU, the cornerback, the really good cornerback? Stingley. Yeah. Top five. I know you had Aiden Hutchinson, and then you mentioned Trayvon Walker. I can't remember who was fifth, but uh, hold on. Yeah, I, I just think that. Yeah, Kayvon Tripto. Yeah. yeah, out of Oregon. Top yeah. five guys. I mean, you're in the top ten. There's not even quarterback taken, and there isn't a quarterback taken to the 20th pick. Who, again, is the Pittsburgh Steelers that we just talked about? So, yeah, I mean, it's I agree. He would definitely be in the discussion. Three pass edge rushers in that in that class uh, in 2022 went in the top five, two defensive backs. But I'll tell you this. If, if Will Anderson ends up at the Detroit Lions at six, I love it for him. Yeah. After watching that coach, and, I mean, at first I was like, man, this guy's hoping. Yeah, he converted me too. Yeah, I was like, this guy's not going to make it a year. I've seen this story. I've seen this rip my shirt off. I've heard, you know, I've seen that. I've heard these stories. Man, but I'm telling you, I watched the hard knocks, and then I watched the team this year, and they were they were a very competitive mm-hmm. football team. And those guys played really hard for him. They obviously like him. And again, you saw the defense begin to step up. I saw they just traded, uh, what was his name? Jeff Akuda. Yeah, the corner to Atlanta. They traded yeah. him for a fifth round pick. So obviously they're like, you know, they're in, they're in, you know, they're in, uh, they're in the, you know, make every change they need to make to compete mode. I think they've got two two picks in the top twenty this time around, and I, I believe Kuiper's mock has them taking not only Will Anderson but Bijan Robinson. At the running back position. That's a, that's so uh, that a, would work. Yeah, right? a, they do. Yeah, that's a win-win, I think. I mean, they finished. They had a win. A little high for a running back top 20, but, you know, yeah. Bijan would make some sense. Yeah, he he obviously, him and Gibbs were the top two. I know a lot of teams like Gibbs because he can catch the ball out of the backfield. I'm not a big fan of taking running backs in the first round overall. Um, I don't know if many of this really earned that, you know, earned their status. I mean, we've seen a lot go much higher. We've seen. Saquon Barkley, who is great, but he's injured, kind of, you know, that window to be great, what is it, three years? And then, yeah, for them, unless you're some kind of super freak, and we don't talk about this guy nearly enough, but Adrian Peterson, if you're not some super freak, Adrian Peterson, I mean, you really got the smallest window. Remember when Sean McCoy was like <laughs> undeniably the best running back? In football with the Steelers, set out a year. We've never really heard from him since. So, but yeah, I mean that's a good. I like the direction of that team. So there's, it could be worse for me. It could be worse for Will Anderson to end up in Detroit with a defensive-minded coach and a high-energy guy. So I, I would call that a win for him. Yeah. Well, 
and you think about Alabama players in these mocks, it looks like at this point, and it's kind of hard to say because, yes, you see Bryce and Will in the top five to seven picks for the upcoming draft, but then you get into Brian Branch, Jameer Gibbs, you know, they're kind of wild cards in terms of how many first rounders Alabama will have in this draft because, as is the case with Kuyper in his latest mock, he's got Brian Moore in that 35 overall range, which is early second to the Colts. He's got Jameer Gibbs, 37th overall to the Philadelphia Eagles. How about Jalen and the Jalen and Jameer show with a little Devontae Smith and, and A.J. Brown mixed in there in Philly, uh, possibly. So those are guys that I guess could really change uh, that number of first rounders for Alabama. Brian's kind of slotted where you and I talked about it before, where those safeties, you hear their first round picks, their first round picks, but you know that they could slide down into that early second. We've seen Landon Collins was one. We've seen some phenomenal picks at safety go in that same range. I mean, I went back, look at some drafts in that range, early first third. Was Xavier McKinney kind of early yeah. second? Yeah, yeah, Xavier was that way. I mean, you got guys like Javon Holland and, uh, you've had plenty of guys that end up, everybody thinks they're a first, the mock drafts, have them high. They have them high. They'll have them. I mean, I saw Brian as high as 14th. It's not he's not a good player. I mean, these are absolutely, these safeties being taken in that 35th and 36th pick, that range, 32, 33. Yeah, McKinney was 36th overall yeah, they, they're, to that, the Giants. Yeah. If you go back and look at drafts, you'll find a lot of guys. It's not they're good players. It's just positional value. You know, it's a safety. You know, some, you know, Eddie Kyle, you know, uh, you find guys late in uh, in those rounds. Eddie and, Jackson, yeah. Yeah, Eddie Jackson was a fourth-round pick. You find guys late in that round. Landon was a second-round pick, although I think he was the first pick in the second, maybe. So, yeah, it's not going to be surprises. Now, I still think I'm curious uh, if some team doesn't really like Gibbs because you remember uh, the Chiefs jumped up and took Clyde Edwards, uh, what's his name from LR. yeah. Him at 32nd, so – if you get to that point and your guys are gone, you know, that offensive guard you wanted or that second wide receiver is gone or something, and and um, boom, you can very well see Gibbs, I think, in the first round of this draft. So. I won't be surprised to sort of build on what you're saying if Gibbs actually goes ahead of B. John Robinson. And one of the reasons why is, well, I, I think B. John Robinson can run. Don't get me wrong. I think he ran – Four four six uh, at the combine, so nothing wrong with that. But that extra tenth and a half of a second or so that Jameer brings to the mix makes him kind of like a Chris Johnson previously, the Titans, you know, those kind of guys. Um, it, it won't surprise me because it, it's also about fit, you know, and, and what a team needs. Um, and and speed is often the the tiebreaker, well, as you said. Running backs go win, typically later first, right? Early second, when you start getting into that best available player mode. And speed, a lot of times, is a tiebreaker. Uh, if it comes down to a couple guys that are maybe head-to-head -head in that regard. So when we talk about the first couple of rounds for that upcoming draft, yeah. Bryce Young, Will Anderson, Brian Branch, um, also Jameer Gibbs. I'll say this, too. I like it better for my team the way Mel has those first four picks slotted out, Tim, then I like it for your team. I like Bryce Young more in the NFC South with your Saints than I like him in the AFC South with my Jacksonville Jaguars. So I'm I'm thrilled with uh, 
I'm thrilled with what Nell's got here. Hey, and you know, going back to that Gibbs, if you look, 31st pick is the Kansas City Chiefs, who's mm-hmm. making running backs similar to Gibbs. And at uh, 29 are my Saints, who obviously are looking to add some offensive guys. They got Derek Carr. They got Olave. They got, you know, they got Alvin Camaro, who's kind of like in flux. He's got a legal situation. He's getting on up there in age. But what do they love about Alvin? He can catch the ball out of the backfield. That's what made him a, you know, a pro bowler. So that's, you know, again, we go back to situations like you were talking about with, with, um, with Will Anderson. This could be a case where you have teams looking a little bit late to get a guy like that. I, I love Robinson. Don't get me wrong. I love Robinson. I do too. I like him a lot. The banger. He's between the tackles. He runs hard. He does all the little things. Gibbs just in the NFL. I think a lot of teams really value that, that extra, you know, grabbing the ball, you know, out of the backfield and some of the routes he can run and all that stuff. But some either and both of them, I expect to be pretty good pros. Yeah. I, I envision Jameer Gibbs as being two steps away from losing a step. I think B. John Robinson might be one step away, a step closer to losing a step. I guess that's the, the point I'm I'm trying to make there. But uh, absolutely, Mel, if you want to put C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, and Will Levis in the AFC South, I'm 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 here for it. Absolutely, man. Go so ahead, I, let's I let's do know. that. I know they're probably hearing that. There's enough guys, and I'm not saying. You oh, know, Mel got smartened up. Mel well, got smartened I, up on Bryce in the last 48 hours. Probably his hairstylist. He was sitting there. <laughs> dude, dude, we spend so much time together. You don't trust me? Yes. Dude, I heard Shefty talking about teams, uh, about the Panthers, have have Bryce as the number one now. Yeah. Maybe I wonder, you know, the thing about it is I see a lot of, and I agree with this to some to some degree, I see a lot of people saying mock drafts don't count. And, of course, they don't count. NFL teams don't tell you who they're drafting, but I will say they tend to get a hell of a lot more accurate, just like recruiting rankings tend to get better as you go along in the process. So the mock draft the day after the final declaration, I mean, that's just a crapshoot. You're kind of going with what you know. You've spent a season probably watching the NFL. Um, You start, it's the same for me. I start digging in after the season's over talking to some guys I know in the NFL and I get a better vibe for exactly what's going to happen. It's not going to be a hundred percent. A lot of it depends on how they run and who's going to shock you or who interviews well. And believe it or not, everybody doesn't interview well in the NFL. You've had, you know, there's some guys that give off a bad vibe. So I think it gets more accurate, but this right here before quarterbacks, I wasn't expecting. Um, But again, there's a lot of value. When you look down, you look at this this next six, there's a lot of value. You know, if the Eagles go and get Peter Skoronowski, the, the the interior offensive lineman at number 10, give me a break. The Eagles were friggin' had a bet, you know, they had a great offensive line last year, and they're gonna dip in here and get one of the guys I like the best out of all the offensive linemen. And I think the Eagles have a set. Yeah, they've got a second pick uh in this draft, don't they? Uh second, first round pick. I think so because the tenth pick is from New Orleans. That was that pick where New Orleans moved up to get a uh, lobby, I believe. Anyways, I thought that the Eagles are. I tell you what, the Eagles are one of the best ran organizations in the NFL right now. I know they didn't win the Super Bowl. You know, you kind of run into a you know you, you know a monster over there. But yeah, this is uh, this is going to be an interesting draft. We got multiple guys with two picks. Your guys have two picks, so it's going to be uh, it's going to be a fun uh, fun draft to watch. Yeah, it looks like uh, you're right. The Eagles um, will go 10th 
and then via the the trade with uh, New Orleans last year, and then they'll pick again 30th overall as the Super Bowl runner-up. So there you go. Some oh, NFL wow. draft talk. He's got a one more thing. He's got a he's got a trade here at thirty where the Seattle trades up to get Hendon Hooker. Yeah, well, Philly's exactly like got that. that extra pick. Actually, like that's a good spot for a quarterback, right? You want to take a little bit of a chance on. He's a little bit older. He's coming off an injury. That's, so four SEC quarterbacks in the first round. That would where be. Where do you Tim. think Hooker would be with no injury? Hmm. No. I, I think he would be. Well, I mean. Teams love quarterbacks. They they can't get enough of it. So, yeah, I could see him still. I could see him being a first rounder without the injury. Yeah, I mean, if he's if he's projecting now as late first after the injury, I would yeah. think um, absolutely uh, you would see him somewhere maybe mid to late first. Very interesting. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's a it's a quarterback hungry league. We know that, and there are some of these guys, and even Bryce because of his physical stature. You know, it's going to go into professional careers with question marks. I just think, though, again, when you go tape to tape, you know, you want to talk about even Bryce in comparison to Hendon Hooker. First of all, Bryce is what, four or five years younger than Hendon Hooker to start there? And even in their head to head this season, in which Hendon Hooker will, will be considered as a hero by Tennessee fans, and it's understandable, he was outplayed by Bryce Young in that game. And Bryce didn't even practice the previous week. Coming off the shoulder injury, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Right. That's and he didn't have wide-ass open receivers running behind the secondary like Hendon had, too. Yeah. You know? Jalen Hyatt's projected at 55 in the, uh, to the Detroit Lions. Again, I'm telling you. Yeah, know, the Alabama game made Jalen Hyatt. I know he had a great year in terms of numbers, but that's the game. That's, that's the game that you're basing everything on, I think, with Jalen Hyatt. Last thing, I don't see battle in this second round top two draft, but you know, battle's going to be my guy. I think people are sleeping on to be a pretty good pro. I think he's going to be a better pro football player. I think he was a good college football player, but I think his game's going to translate better in the NFL when all said and done. I think he's, he's interesting. I I can go either way with Jordan battle. And and I think he's going to be solid. I think he'll be a good pro. I don't, I, I think the floor is pretty high for Jordan battle. I just don't know what the ceiling is because I just didn't see him make a lot of plays on the ball at Alabama. Now, some of that is probably based on his, his, uh, his job that he was asked to perform yeah, in just, that secondary. I, I, that's the part I just don't know yet. Maybe, maybe just, as you said, maybe as a pro, there'll be more of those opportunities for him. I just think he's the kind of guy that the less physical practice in the NFL is going to let him heal. And I think mm-hmm. he's going to have in that, in that. Interesting. Or, I mean, we've seen it with like, say Trayvon Diggs. Mm-hmm. Some of these, the NFL, you know, it's not a physical contract, you know, and battles been, you know, he was a, he's been a dinged up guy through his career at Alabama. So mm-hmm. that'll help him. All right. What hey, are we on? Yeah. Let's get into some, uh, we're talking about Alabama. Let's talk some Alabama spring football. We had a scrimmage last Friday at Brian Denny stadium. Going to have another one on Saturday. Um, We've heard from Nick Saban post-scrimmage. We both heard some things coming out of that first scrimmage. Uh, I guess the way I look at it right now, Tim, and I want to hear what you have to think about. Sounds like it's going according to script almost. It's like if you scripted out how this spring practice would go with the quarterback competition and the newcomers and who might emerge and all those things, it seems like 
um, it, it's pretty much been, again, according to script. Yeah, I haven't heard of a lot of surprises, you know. I mean, the guys that we thought coming in, Benson, James Smith, you know, guys like that would that would come in and, and, and have an impact as, you know, based on them being newcomers. Um, I think they've done that. Um, you heard, you've heard good things. I was really happy to hear Jihad Campbell has looked good. Uh, he looked a little hesitant last year when I saw him at linebacker, he had to make an adjustment kind of, kind of was an edge rusher and a, a very good elite one in high school. So he's making an adjustment, you know, the quarterback battle. I don't think anybody knows, you know, the thing I love about Alabama fans, this quarterback battle is so discussed and, I just don't know where they're seeing. I don't see much film of these guys to make any kind of rash decisions. But I see a lot of rash decisions or not rash, but heavy handed decisions are being made. Um, you know, it sounds like both quarterbacks have did fairly well so far. And I know Saban's not going to go in and rip into anybody in those press conferences for the most part. But he seemed particularly pleased up to this point. Yeah, I was asked the other day if if. Nick was being genuine in his assessment of things after that first scrimmage because he was so complimentary of a lot of the areas of this football team with an emphasis on the offense. And, you know, my response to that, there was some, I guess, some cynicism about, well, he, this is the playbook for Saban every spring. He does this after the first spring scrimmage, the second spring scrimmage, he comes off as, you know, borderline not happy, and then you go into A-Day. But this isn't like other springs. I don't think there really is a playbook or a manual even for Nick Saban this spring, Tim, because there are so many newcomers on the practice field. You know, at the end of the day, they've had a couple of weeks of spring practice. They're about halfway through it now, a little past halfway. And you know, I, I think even Nick knows. I, I can't be hypercritical of too much because there is so much newness to this team that there are guys just still trying to learn the basic parameters of how Alabama goes about its business on yeah. a day-to-day basis. What do you think of that? I think he's probably excited to see him just like we'll be, you know, I think he, you know, you see these guys, uh, you get a feel for what they do. I think, I do know, I think the team is really in the coaching staff very impressed with the work ethic around this team. I know that was a big emphasis on that freshman class, sort of that that dog mentality or whatever you want to call it. I know that's something they were looking for, and they feel they've got it. You know, the one thing I will say is, and you know, I've talked to a few guys that have been in attendance of the last scrimmage, and they, it's very competitive in positions. You know, we go back to this, and you know, the, after losing to Clemson, you know, you and I were talking like there's no there was no competition on this team, like Trayvon Diggs or. Uh, what was the cornerback's name? Savion. There wasn't really Savion Smith. Wasn't yeah. Really, yeah, there wasn't really competition to push him. There was no threat. You know, if you don't have a threat, if you're not challenged, if you don't have a threat to somebody might come and get your, you know, your position, you really probably don't work as hard. I think that's what we saw that year. In the next couple of years, we saw a much better competitive from from the roster they went out. God, I think that's what we're looking at this year. Uh, just more competition at each position. Running back position is probably as good as we thought it was, which is pretty amazing because I don't know anybody who doesn't love the running back room. I mean, everybody I talked to, the random guy I ran into at Target probably eight or ten days ago was talking about the running room, running back room. And he's mm-hmm. right. It's as good as we think it is, which is really hard to do. 
What do you think the chances that this OL that we've seen during the early stages, at least, of spring practice, let's say J.C. Latham at right tackle, let's go Tyler Booker at right guard, Seth McLaughlin at center, Darian Dahlcourt at left guard, and Elijah Pritchett at left tackle. You think that group can go wire to wire uh, as far as spring to the season opener against Middle Tennessee? It seems like it's hard to do that, but I mean, those guys. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. I mean, I would say in general, I know just because it seems impossible to do that, nobody getting dinged up, nobody else getting passed or anything. But um, I like that group, and I, I know the people that talk about them like the group. People that seen them like the group, uh, especially their athleticism. You know, they're a little bit mean. I mean, if you can keep you know Latham at the right tackle, and I mean Pritchett, you know, that's a, literally. You know, we've discussed that guy coming out of high school, a dancing bear, just a big monster of a guy. I've never seen a lean, a lean looking 285 pounds, or I have seen it, just not often. But he was a skinny looking 285 or 290, whatever he was coming out of high school. So uh, we knew what he could build into. But, yeah, I think I think they could. But I also think that, you know, Wolf is going to push these guys because that's his nature and that's what's going to get the most out of them. So there's probably going to feel some heat from those second team guys. So I do think it's going to be interesting. Uh, the tackles, once you iron the tackles down, I think your offensive line is really going to come together with what they've got on campus. But some of these freshmen, you know, they've got some time between the spring and August to really, you know, really step in and have a little bit more of an impact and do some work because they're still learning on the job. I mean, they were in they were in high school four months ago, you know, yeah. high school four months ago. So in four months, They've got to this point, but they also, you know, the strides they've made now, they've also got the same four months between now and August workout. So some of those guys are still going to be heard from, I think. Yeah, you talked about competition on this team right now. And because of that, you almost get the sense that the season opener against Middle Tennessee might just be a continuation in some ways of fall camp and that competition at so many spots before Texas comes to Tuscaloosa in week two. Is that a scenario you can envision with the quarterback situation, obviously, at the top of that list? Because we've seen that in some previous seasons. 2011, Phillip Sims, A.J. McCarron went into that season. By the time they went to Penn State in week two, it was A.J. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. I'm not saying, you, you know, you don't, you know, you don't have to take I mean, obviously every college game you gotta you gotta pay attention to, but I, they're not gonna roll out their Texas game plan and and everything they've got. I do think you're right. It's still gonna be a tryout. It's gonna be it's gonna be the first time to go against someone that's not on your team. So in a way, it's almost like you know those you know high school have those 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 scrimmage games in the in the spring where they go against another team. That's kind of what it's gonna be like for Alabama. Obviously, ironing out the kinks. Hopefully, seeing both quarterbacks or or having figured out who your quarterback was, get most of the snaps, seeing which running back's going to do what in each situation. You got a new tight end on campus. You know, you got, you know, you got Nye Black, a young guy that's probably going to have an extended role. So, yeah, I can see that. I can still see there being some auditioning going on. Absolutely. Um, speaking of roster building and roster management, boy, it is that time right now for Nate Oates and Alabama men's basketball, isn't it? It is portal season as the crimson tide continues to work that aspect also nate rebuilding his coaching staff 
Austin Clunch, the head coach at Nickel State, linked heavily with one of the three staff openings in Tuscaloosa. I guess it's looking like Thibodeau to Tuscaloosa for Austin Clunch. But what about the transfer portal, Tim, and maybe some of the the primary suspects we could say right now for Nate as far as you know, filling some holes because of some departures, whether it's the NBA draft or potentially still more with the NBA draft and uh, how the transfer portal has worked going the other way for Alabama, players leaving the program. Um, it seems like Aaron Estrada of Hofstra, B.J. Mack of Wolford, of Wofford, excuse me, Latrell Wrightsell of uh, Cal State Fullerton, a couple guards and maybe a forward there that are, are most heavily linked to this Alabama program right now. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously losing three coaches, I've never, I can't ever recall that happening. You know, I can't, I can't ever remember three assistant coaches getting head coaching jobs, even those small jobs. Um, I think Petway, you know, you know, deserved it. I think it was kind of surprising because this is a guy that's been, I mean, he's been in Alabama for how long? I mean, he's been, he is out, he is Alabama basketball in a lot of ways, you know, and I, and I could see it both ways knowing Pat, who's a, unbelievable person and a hard worker. And I remember when, when he was in high school, you know, when he was in high school, the, you know, all the talk was about, I think his name was Gabe Kennedy. who ended up at UAB, uh, went Juco. All the, nobody really talked about Petway that much, although he was clearly leader on the team. I met him then, you know, he walked on in Alabama and then did, you know, what he had to do, but he's been there forever. He's been in Alabama forever. So this had to be a hard decision for pet to make to leave but also if he ever wants to coach alabama <laughs> this is probably the best way if that opportunity you know ever appoints itself you know as far as the the um um as far as the portal i mean it, it kind of you know the worst time and you had the wear kid uh, i think he ended up in indiana he was coming in to visit alabama they had scouted him seven footer yeah, yeah. they scouted him and liked him but then you have no coaches that business ends up getting canceled uh, you had Denver Jones. I think Auburn had felt for a while they were in it. Alabama was still battling, but the main guy that was battling there was was uh, was Petway, I believe. Um, and then they kind of reset with the portal. I think had the coaches leave, reset it. You know, with you know with Nate getting back after it and having to figure it out. I mean, that guy's juggling a lot of things if you think about it. You know, he's trying to fire three assistant coaches. Phil his staff, you know, they've lost a few guys in the portal. And I don't think anybody's really surprised them. I mean, Jaden Bradley, that was always on the table. We talked about it in the Nuggets. It definitely could have been affected by whether or not Quinterly comes back. Um, Namari Burnett was not at least bit surprising to the staff. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the names we're hearing now. B.J. Mack, you know, hear his name a lot. The kid from Hofstra, Estrada, Aaron Estrada's one. And and uh, the Cal State Fullerton, I'm not as familiar with him just yet, but that's the three named guys in the trail right. That's three three guys I'm probably the most familiar with. But right now, I think that it's, you know, there's nothing off the table because the assistant coaches, they are going to end up hiring. They will have connections to somebody that, you know, they, Alabama probably wants to to bring in. So as we look ahead to another weekend, you got Alabama baseball hosting Auburn after an absolute beatdown last night of a really good program in southern Mississippi. You want to talk about an SEC caliber opponent at midweek. That's Southern Miss and Alabama just woodshedded uh, USM 
at the Joe. Alabama softball in Birmingham on Tuesday night takes care of Sanford. Now Patrick Murphy's team will head to Mississippi State, where it really needs to get a sweep. I mean, series wins obviously are important, uh, but a sweep would would do the softball team well as it sits at six and six in SEC play. Hey, for Alabama baseball, right? Just a series win of any kind at this point. Five straight weekends without a series win. So Brad Bohannon's team going to look to change that against an Auburn team. Not sure if you saw this last night, but Auburn got walked off by Georgia Tech in Atlanta midweek on a grand slam in extra innings. So uh, both Alabama and Auburn in desperate need of a series win in Tuscaloosa coming up here. Yeah, you know, the baseball team, I know it's just frustrating to watch. I mean, they get behind in every series. I still think they're very competitive to me. I mean, they're, what are they, 24 and 10 or something like that? They've had a pretty tough schedule. You know, you get to the SEC, it's definitely a tough schedule. But I really felt that Mississippi State, they needed to win that series, find a way to win it. Um, They've been so competitive. I mean, they were, you know, um, the series against Arkansas, they easily could have won that series, the series against Kentucky and Florida. They definitely could have won the series against Florida. So they've had some tough ones. But Mississippi State, I mean, I just, you know, you know, the first game and the third game, I just didn't really feel that, you know, it was very good baseball being played. Just a lot of, you know, a lot of mistakes. They ended up giving, um, I think they gave up 20 runs in those two games or something. You know, that's, a, you know, that's, that's pretty, that's a lot. Yeah. And the, and the, and the two losses to state from this, just the seventh inning on, they gave up 13 runs yeah, in those two games. That's, in, that's just, in, that's bananas. I mean, that's yeah. sanity because, you know, that was a one in eight Mississippi state team too. I mean, they were struggling coming in. Um, so yeah, you want to see, they need to bounce back. Auburn would be a good series to win. They've got Missouri, which they can certainly compete with against but then you know they're gonna they're gonna hit lsu and vanderbilt back to back yeah <laughs> you know yeah. them and old miss i mean so they really need to you know they really need to they need to i mean old miss is they have a good shot at but the rest of those teams are pretty pretty damn good yeah yeah we're gonna head to the mailbag here in just a little bit if you're ready but uh you know we like to talk uh shows and stuff that's one of tim's uh one of tim's pleasures there's no doubt about that i enjoy it too and um you know, kind of got into uh, the show Barry here recently, Tim, you know, and uh, I'm staying with it. I'm already into season two, pretty much binged season one. I mean, it's dark. It's hilarious in some ways, captivating, uh, great stuff from Bill Hader. But for me anyway, Henry Winkler, the Fonz. I mean, he's the best. Dude. Absolutely steals that show as Gene Cousineau. Uh, what a great name, too, by the way. Is. Have you met NoHo Hank yet? Oh, he's awesome. Jesus. You know, I mean, Bye, the, the, yeah. the <laughs> from Monroe to you know Barry to the girl being the most annoying girl in the history of women. Oh yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a, I'm not going to give you any more details than that. But it's I'm a, early season two, so yeah, help me out. I am not going to give you any spoilers. I find that show extremely consistent, especially with Bill Hader. I mean, he's the guy that's pretty much known to be. You know, it's a Saturday Night Live guy being an yeah. assassin actor. I mean, you can't, yeah. you can't make it up any better than that. But the show, I love it. Um, it was great. We just watched a show called Beef, B-E-E-F, on mm-hmm. Netflix. That was pretty wild. I mean, it was kind of like the, the you know, society road rage situation and the selfishness of people. It was all Asian cast, basically. And it was... Uh, <laughs> 
It is. It had Ali Wong, who's hilarious, and Stephen Yun, who's uh, who's been in some good stuff. They were. Uh, that's a good show. I don't. You know, I don't want to spoil it for people. But if you're looking for like a dark comedy drama, that's kind of in that line. It's not the level of a very. Again, Barry's elite to me. Like at the end of the day, you know, I know people rank shows. I don't think I could do a top five favorite show, but if you had, you know, Tim, give me your top five dark comedy thirty minute show. Barry's probably right there at the top. No, it's <laughs> in the top five. It's a, it's. I'm glad you found it. It's a good one. Succession's one I want you to start. Yeah, I got to do that. Uh, See, I Succession was kind of starting. Uh, alongside or right around billions and i was really into billions at the time and then billions sort of lost me after a while and i just never transitioned over to succession they they feel similar they probably aren't yeah um yeah i don't know billions got soap opera to me yeah. um, it went the first couple of seasons are great succession has been really consistent you know it's been really consistently good across the board I feel like billions had peaks and lows and they got super dramatic. We start getting those, you know, we start doing crazy things there. And the mm-hmm. redheaded guy, Axel, he left for a while. His actual real life wife got sick and died. She, she played Paul Peaky Blinders. She was friggin' awesome in that show. So I think I heard he's coming back, but succession to me shorter, you know, it's hard to have a show that goes seven or eight years for the most part, like billions, because you run out of, you run out of things to do. You know, Homeland sort of Homeland sort of ran into that same thing. There's only so many bombs she could stop or terrorist attacks before, you know, you kind of like, all right, lady, you're kind of bad luck. So I think for me, success is probably the easiest because it's the shorter. Billions' first few years were great, though. They were. And if The Sopranos went seven seasons, that's probably what it should be for every other show. That's about, yeah, that's about what you got. You know, another show uh, on HBO Max, that music box series that I like, you know, um, I told you about the one of the producer for the Bee Gees and Saturday Night Fever as a part of that series. The newest one is Jason Isbell running with our eyes closed, the former drive by trucker. I'm obviously a big drive by truckers fan. Jason, formerly previously of the drive by truckers doing his thing solo these days. Pretty good stuff uh, goes in depth about really the difficulties of being in a band with your wife, which he has now done twice. Uh, his first wife was in the drive-by truckers with him. And now his wife, Amanda Shires is kind of more of a part-time member of Jason Isbell and the 400 unit, but good stuff. Pretty revealing, pretty uh, honest. I would say uh, if you like the documentaries and of course I'm a big doc guy, I love the docs first and foremost. So one to a couple of wrecks, I guess we got for him, Tim where the stream and shows are concerned. You, I watched the Saturday. I won't watch, I won't watch them all, but I like that. Was it Mr. Saturday nights? The name yeah, of the one I, I was like talking that. about. Right? I actually watched Saturday night fever, which is on Paramount, I believe, or Paramount, I believe could be on Peacock. It's one of those two. I watched the actual movie after. I mean, it's, I've hmm. always liked the movie. I'm telling you people, I don't know how you feel about Travolta, but nobody walks like, Oh, that. I love him. Nobody. Yeah walks like Travolta when he walks no. it's like you know like that that guy walks as cool as anybody you know there's a scene to get shorty where he went up the stairs you know they throw a great soundtrack behind it dude can dance you know he's amazing at everything he does now I mean the rest you know I don't mix my off off the movie <laughs> with my own the movie just like I don't miss my 
off the quarter field with on the field. But Travolta, when you see him in those roles, I mean, it's pretty impressive. That whole setup was good. The you know, and he, us having seen the background on it, watching the movie made it even cooler to me. Saturday Night Fever is one of the first movies I recall seeing in an actual theater. And I guess my mom, I was, God, I was probably only 10 years old or something like that at the time, eight or 10. And I guess my mom couldn't find a babysitter or something because the, my, my takeaway from that was that, you know, I probably shouldn't have seen that movie at that age, <laughs> but I did. And uh, it definitely, definitely stuck it, with me for a, for a number know, of reasons. I was telling people about the movie and they forget like the, the attempted rape, the suicide, oh, yeah. the pregnancy that, you know, the, mm-hmm. we had, the, a, yeah, I mean, we had a priest kill himself. The bridge like, scene where, you oh know, my, the one guy falls off and then oh dies. God. I mean, geez. Yeah. They had a weird scene in the back with a net. I mean, I was like telling people's like, you know, remind me of that Dave Chappelle skit where he was like, you don't realize how bad things were that you watched as a kid till you're older. And he said he's watching Pepe Le Pew with his niece. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, damn, Pepe's a rapist. Easy. Yeah. Easy, Pepe. Yeah. He had a funny scene. Not that's a funny subject. We had a funny scene there making fun of the stuff we're allowed to watch as kids. And as we get older, we're like, oh, damn, that wasn't that wasn't the, the best movie in hindsight. Well, let's uh, let's get into the mailbag. We always love to do that here on the T. Watson, TR podcast on the Bama online pod. Uh, we've got some different topics out there uh, for the mailbag this week. And as always, we certainly appreciate each and every one of you who participate with us there in the mailbag. Our guy, B underscore rich underscore. We count on B, B rich, man. Um, he asked, would love to get your post masters thoughts. Who turned heads? Live golfers, Kepka and Mickelson show out. Who are the favorites heading into the next major? So, We'll uh we'll touch on that quickly. I, I thought it was great. I always do. I didn't like the delays. You know, I had a couple weather delays, but uh, talked about this with Hank a little bit too, man. It, that ESPN Plus coverage is the way to go. I mean, it's it's worth the ten dollars a month. Uh, not trying to sell flip scriptions for them at all, but uh, the extended coverage was super. Uh, Kepka was great for about two and a half rounds. About midway through that third round, he started to crack a little bit and. You know, give John Rahm all the credit. He was steady, solid, spectacular at times. Phil Mickelson at 52 years old, shooting a 65 in the final round, certainly will will be a memory for a while. Uh, Patrick Reed, you talk about the live contingent with Kepka and Mickelson. Patrick Reed right there in that top four or five or so. So when you think about the next majors coming up, be rich. Uh, I guess you got the PGA these days in that second spot, then the U.S. Open, then the British um, gosh, I mean, John Rahm has to be at the top of that list. I'll tell you this shocking in some ways to see Rory really falter like he has uh, at the Masters and also at the players, too. And, you know, JT needs to pick it up. The former Alabama All-American uh, hasn't been great in, in some of the biggest events. He won the PGA last year. So we certainly remember that. But would like to see JT pick things up a little bit. And always Scotty Scheffler is going to be in that mix. So. There you go, Tim. You got any thoughts on the Masters or anything like that with golf as we move on here? So is the extended coverage you're just talking about ESPN Plus? Yes. Oh, it's streaming. Now let me um, tell you, sports fan. Ahead. That's a that's a must. I don't know. I don't know if you're a sports fan how you don't have it. I mean, right? it's a must. I watch everything. Alabama baseball games on there. Softball, baseball. Yeah. Hey, 
Hank, Hank tricked me into going over there. You can watch NBA games. You know, you can watch. The thing is, you can watch it on your phone or your iPad or your computer. So, you know, if the wife's got you watching a movie, you know, this is a Timmy trick. If the wife's got you watching a movie, you slap it on the phone. You can keep up with the exactly school, your fire TV or whatever. It's a lot better than just following the play by play on ESPN, which is sometimes 30 minute break. But I think that guy takes a lunch break sometimes between up. <laughs> but yeah, ESPN plus for anybody. Again, like you said, softball, baseball, all basketball, every Alabama basketball game that wasn't on CBS was on there. You know, you catch, you know, everything that's on ESPN plus so much more. That's where I see every Bama baseball game. Absolutely. Softball, too. And you're going to have a day. The a day game is going to be on ESPN plus. So uh, I'm with you. I, I feel like I do the same thing. We'll, we'll have something on the, the main screen in the in the living room. And I'll have the phone fired up on ESPN Plus, keeping tabs on baseball or softball or things like that simultaneously. But I the do. pro golf for me alone makes it worth it. Yeah, I, well, I turn it on in the background to watch it. It was pretty relaxing while I worked. I didn't really pay attention, but Hank, I guess he's working, you know, his side hustles Moonlight for ESPN Plus now. But <laughs> he's like, turn it on. I guess he's trying to get clicks. He said, hey, it's pretty cool, but it was pretty cool, but I did run into the the rain delays, and I forget. Yeah. The day I watched it, it ended in the middle of a round in the middle of the day because I text Hank, like, is it over? Yeah, like, one or that two was Sunday when they completed the third round. round. Yeah. Did that? So, all right, that's what they I had the breaks. That's yeah. what I got for golf. That's there we go. All right, we'll take it. We'll take it, Tim. Hey, big Bama boy here in the roundtable mailbag. I also asked the question in that thread. Toughest road game for Alabama football in 2023, USF, Mississippi State, Texas A&M, Kentucky, or Auburn. It's interesting because, you know, Alabama does have the, the five road games this year. It adds USF on the road to go along with the four conference road matchups. And so uh, Big Bama Boy says he thinks it's probably Texas A&M of that group. What say you, Tim Watts? I mean, there's zero doubt for me it's Auburn. <laughs> I mean, it is. It's zero doubt. Oh, I yeah. I, I'm with you. I, I think we, that's the one place that a six, you know, a six and six Auburn team, we've seen it, is unbelievably competitive against Alabama. It's a great environment. Um, it is their Super Bowl, you know, with, you know, whether they're compete for a SEC championship or they're just, you know, trying to get the number one pick in the draft. They It doesn't matter what their team record is. They are going to compete. We've seen it year in and year out. I've seen much better Alabama teams on paper go down there and struggle. I know you have two to win a game, just to win a game. 2009. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen that. You know, and I've seen equal Alabama teams, you know, you know, maybe 60-40 Bama just get dismantled, just get dominated like Jalen's last year, you know, starting there. So, um, definitely for me, Auburn. Auburn's the toughest. I mean, you got the kick six. You got all the craziness that goes with it. Um, that's the Alabama-Auburn rivalry at its best to me. Yeah, you look at where some of these games fall too, right? South Florida on the road in Tampa, which should still be, I would think, a very heavy Alabama crowd there at Raymond James Stadium on September the 16th. Well, that's a Saturday after Texas visits Tuscaloosa. Uh, and a Saturday before Alabama hosts Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. And boy, you look at this stretch um, from September the 9th 
through October the 21st. You go Texas at South Florida, Ole Miss at Mississippi State, at Texas A&M, Arkansas and Tuscaloosa, and then Tennessee and Tuscaloosa. And then you get a week off before you go to LSU, man. It's a a legit schedule for the Crimson Tide. And uh, I'm with... I'm with uh, the the thought that Texas A&M, Big Bama boy, should be the toughest road game for Alabama just based on roster and you know, the fact that Alabama lost its last time it made that trip to College Station. But I'm also with Tim, the craziness that ensues, especially in year one of a lot of these Auburn head coaches that have gotten Alabama down on the plains. So, no, they know that's caught. Yeah, that, I, I, we talked about that. Uh, it, it's almost that, like they, they, they say, well, we're, we're going to go ahead and make this change because we get Alabama at Jordan-Hare next year. It would be a good a, opportunity for a first-year coach to that uh, is do something. That is a extender. <laughs> That's, you win that first game against Alabama. That's a con- – and, you know, you know, rightly so, you're going to get people excited about your program. So, for me, it's Auburn. I'm not – you know, obviously a good point on Texas, the South Florida game, sandwich between some big ones. Texas A&M's got the – you know, they're going to have the talent and all the stuff that goes with it. But, I mean, you know, it, t- it took a lot for Alabama to lose the last time they played there. And they did. They did. They did OK there, I feel like. JAC 2019 asks, what changes do you expect from the Alabama offense compared to the last few years with O'Brien as OC? As much as anything, as much as the change at coordinator it's the damn change at quarterback, Tim. I mean, the, the biggest thing is you're not going to have Bryce Young at the quarterback position. So whereas you can say, well, this was something Alabama wanted to do anyway. Well, even if it didn't, you're going from Bryce Young to either Jalen Milrow or Ty Simpson. And who, who knows? Maybe one of those two guys are, are so good in year one as a starter, they end up making the trip to New York City for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. But going into it, at least, I think this change was coming, whether it was O'Brien or Tommy Reese. I don't know about you. Yeah, I agree. I do think you can see a little bit that they want to run the ball a little bit more, a little bit more consistently. And I know we discussed this several times about last year, just not feeling like, you know, that that, at times there was just that fourth and one felt almost impossible to get or it was way too hard to get, I should say. Uh, Or, you know, at least it felt that way. But we have uh, uh, a guy that likes to run the ball. And I know you have an offensive line coach who wants to. I, I mean, I know that Wolford is screaming run the damn ball every play. So I think he's fully behind the run. Um, Alabama has a stable of running backs. So I think we're going to see a consent. And part of that, you know, they didn't have, you know, last year, the year before, hasn't been great running back rooms as far as depth. There's been injuries, you know, that popped up. I mean, there was good players in there for sure. Brian Robinson is always going to be one of the most underappreciated running backs in Alabama history to me. I think he's great. Do get shot, comes back six weeks later or whatever. You know, he's just built different. So, um, yeah, I think we're going to see him run the ball a little bit more. I still think they're going to pass. You don't recruit 10 guys 4-4 four, four or faster, faster than 4-5 or five to, to just run the ball. They're going to throw the ball mm-hmm. too, though. But I do think we'll see more concentrated effort to run. Better sequencing between run and pass, I think, is is what I'm hoping for most. You know, if if I see you run something, I'm typically thinking, okay, there's going to be something that comes off of this. If it's not the immediate aftermath, then at some point in the game, 
this is setting up something else. Perhaps that'll be maybe more of the the situation uh, with this this newest offense. And also, you know what else it, it can help is your defense. You know, if if you are more physically dominant in the run game and able to control games that way, um, yeah, transitioning defense I think would certainly appreciate that as well. Absolutely, I totally agree with that because. You know, a three and out, you know, that that certainly takes a, you know, takes a toll on the defense, but also a three play touchdown drive. There's not really a whole lot of difference, you know, so mm-hmm. uh, I give them a chance to lean on them um, a little bit. Give that defense a chance to recover a little bit less plays for the defense. You know, that's one thing that's went along with this faster offense is the defense now plays more plays than it ever has, you know, you know, because of its own offense. So, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, that Tennessee offense last year, they were fine with you scoring 49 because they really felt like they could score 50-plus on on anybody. Um, They couldn't, as we saw, against Georgia, South Carolina, um, and some teams, but they were able to do it against Alabama for sure. Uh, Our pal Tuscaloosa here in the mailbag, uh, he talks about Auburn conducting its spring game on Easter weekend in a monsoon, had about 17 fans in attendance. Uh, he's also asking what we expect from Auburn this year. Uh, how much of what we expect from Auburn will depend on whether or not they're able to get a quarterback from the portal. And I don't know about you, but I felt this way even going into spring that I would not be surprised at all if Auburn starting quarterback for the 2023 season isn't on campus yet. Yeah, I think that's that would be ideal for the new coaching staff. I think that's what they had want. Um yeah, the, why? I, you know what I can't figure out? Why are the, the spring games staggered so differently? Like Michigan's was a week or two ago. Auburn's already done. Alabama's coming up. I would think you'd want to get as far along in the spring for this game to increase your chances of having a warm, sunny day, right? Yeah, so, I think some coaches like, you know, Missouri was done before anybody in the SEC. Some coaches, they want to get it in early so – any injuries or anything that come from the spring or anything that was even lingering from the fall into the spring, they have more time to get taken care of in advance of the fall. Um, I think weather is taken into account at least somewhat, but um, you know, the, the, the coaches all have a different sort of way of, of going about it. Yeah. I don't know what to expect to answer this question about Auburn. I think it's, to be determined, I think a lot of people are expecting after the spring another round of people and guys at the portal. So it could just depend on what they get. You know, I think it's early to to uh, to to really have a prediction. I know he's got a you know I think he knew he had a battle in front of him. You know, I think he knew that from everything that happened under the previous regime. He had to flip the roster, so there's a long way to go. I'd imagine they're a 500 team. Um, possibly a, a, a bowl team this year at seven. I don't, I don't know what to expect. I know how his offense worked, you know, ten years ago in the SEC. I'm not sure how well it's going to work now. Um, it, you know, it looked fine at Liberty. They had good games, but they also had a second round draft pick. Whatever it was Malik Willis, second third round pick or whatever, former mm-hmm. SEC quarterback over there. So I'd give them. I think they'll. I think they'll be a 500 team, probably a bowl team this year. Tuscaloosa two. Here in the mailbag. This is interesting this week, Tim. We got Tuscaloosa. We got Tuscaloosa 2 and Tuscaloosa 3. Tuscaloosa 2 says, it seems like every year we see a usual suspect's reach with their first round draft picks. Some years have 
more head scratchers than others. Is there anyone we've seen who has been considered a second to third round guy, but has good enough measurables for a team to maybe take a gamble on? Would who would who would fit that bill for you? I've got a guy in mind. Um, they're a second, third round guy, but was good enough measures for a team to maybe take a gamble. No, you go ahead. Let me think. About as far it. as a first round guy, yeah. I'll go Darnell Washington, the tight end from Georgia. I see him okay. mid second round and in, in a lot of these mocks and boy, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't think he's going to be Gronk maybe as a receiver or Kelsey as a receiver, but I think his role because of Brock Bowers presence kept us from seeing probably everything he is capable of doing as yeah. a receiver. I don't think he's just this big guy, this extra offensive lineman. I, I think he's going to be a damn good pro. Yeah. I think Drew Sanders is one for me to watch because I've seen a guy similar to him. Remember that guy, Leighton Van, somebody that went to the Cowboys. Yeah. Yeah, he was Boise State or somewhere like that. Um, um, He's had a neck problem. He's had some injuries, yeah. Yeah, I think that Drew's similar to him. Now, I, I watched him, and I know the, the highlights, the get to the quarterbacks, find, you know, find ball, get ball, sick him. He was really, really good at, of course. I thought he got swallowed up, you know, when, he, when they got to that second level. Offensive lineman got to that second level. I think he had trouble there, and that's the same thing with Leighton. But getting to the quarterback's a big deal. Um, and he's got plenty of film of getting to the quarterback. So I'm curious what's going to happen with him. I didn't feel he was a first-round pick, but I think that when it comes down to it, we've seen, you know, the second thing most reached for outside of quarterbacks probably is edge rushers because, you, again, you got to have them. So Drew would be my guy. For Leighton Vander Esch. I think, I think Drew is a good one because I think uh, he can run, and there are different ways that you can use him. He, and he's an every-down linebacker in the NFL. You can play him in the dime. So uh, that's that's going to give him, I think, immense value looking ahead to the NFL. Uh, Tuscaloosa three here in the mailbag. Jeremy Pruitt has a hearing next week in Cincinnati with the NCAA Committee on Infractions. What is your best guess as to what gets handed down for both he and the University of Tennessee? I'll take a crack, Tim. I'll say it's going to be worse for Jeremy then it's going to be for the University of Tennessee. I don't. I'm not going to make any wild guesses at how long show cause might be for Jeremy. Uh, though I, I'm just saying it, it'll. It, it, my expectation is based on what I think has been Tennessee's approach from the start of this, which was largely to avoid paying Jeremy his money and being able to get him out simultaneously, is that. Uh, Jeremy's Jeremy's going to look worse coming out of that than UT. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know what to make of it. I don't understand how the NCAA works. I don't understand exactly what's been going on in this case. I mean, some of the you know Tennessee guys, I think Ansley and Pruitt are only two that are still out there dealing with this. I think they're the only two that fought it, though, as well, you know. Um, yeah, that's my understanding. So, I have no idea what the NCAA will do. I don't. I really don't see how the university, which had issues, it gets less than the coach who did the issues. Isn't that one and the same? Well, they're taking that approach of they were proactive. Yeah, you know, they, they kind of handed themselves over. 
And, yeah, uh, this, they really hand themselves over until they he did. Oh, have, I, I I agree. They they, they handed themselves over once they decided okay. they want to get rid of the damn coach. Reminds yeah. me of the Office episode where Michael was trying to fire, I think Toby, <laughs> and they said, uh, Michael, he said, can we fire him? He said, we can't. You got to have cause, and he said, I've got cause. It's the cause I don't. <laughs> so Tennessee, when he didn't win and do the things they wanted to or the way they did. That's when they made that move. You right. Know, that's my issue with it. I don't know what the NCAA will do. Um, I don't know. Part of me just feels like they're teethless in some ways. And then part of me feels like they're very vindictive. I think tennis, I think at the end of the day, it probably would have behooved Tennessee and, and Jeremy to work this out between them without involving the NCAA. I don't think Jeremy was given that option. So I think. No. Tennessee's worth too much to be worried about $11 million Look, in my opinion. I, I, you would think, but it piled up on them pretty good with the, the different coaching changes. Um, do I think Jeremy and that staff were angels or, or didn't have any uh, mistakes or misdeeds in all this? No, I don't think that. Yes, I think there were uh, certainly things that were done that that shouldn't have been in all likelihood we've already seen it with some of the the stuff that's been handed down to some of his staff uh members there at tennessee but i'm also going to tell you, you you really think i believe a lot of people at tennessee didn't know exactly what was going on and it wasn't a problem until tennessee sucked oh yeah, my, that's i mean my, that that that's that's where you lose me with all this that's my issue with it it's not like oh crap you know what was the year they beat Auburn when Auburn was ranked in Auburn? Yeah. You know, it wasn't like, oh, this is happening. I think we're, you know, they waited until it justified. When oh, they won a bowl game and 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 all that and looked yeah. to be on a on a good track, we didn't we didn't hear about any of this. It's just, just when it really started to go down the crapper that oh my God, we gotta we gotta I hand ourselves over. And I say the same exact thing about Alabama. I think you're stupid yeah. and short sighted. To get the NCAA involved and not try to handle this internally. That's my, that's my, I mean, that's like me. I think there was, I think they took a scientific approach and tried to outline both scenarios. I really believe this. If we pay the guy and move on without getting the NCAA involved, what are the financial ramifications of that? Or if we, present this image of oh my god we just figured all this out about this guy look we're going to hand ourselves over and hope you show leniency with the university and the athletic department take more from him uh and then also we don't have to pay him by the way i I think they i think they viewed it from both ways i don't think it was a rash decision where they just woke up one day and decided to take that approach I i think it was i think they did their their diligence on on what the outcomes could be for either way. I just uh, I just think that like if you and I share an apartment and I call the cops because we're in a debate or have a heated discussion and they come in, next thing you know, they've seen one of our bongs. Next thing you know, they're running our driver's license. Next thing you know, we're in big trouble. We could have settled it ourselves. So I think I think with the NCA from 20 years ago, Tim, I think you're right on it. But I think the the member institutions now have kind of figured out this NCAA ain't that NCAA. And uh, they're more willing to take their chances than they would have been. I, I think what you're saying from like the mid-90s or so, 
yeah, I hear you. 20, 25 years ago. Uh, but nowadays, it seems like the NCAA is more than willing to to sacrifice an individual or two yeah. while allowing the the university and athletic department that that individual represented uh, kind of kind of skate for the most part, seems like more and more. Perfect for you, isn't it? What's that? This next question from the actual Tuscaloosa, not the fraud Tuscaloosa. Oh, gosh, yes. The Tuscaloosa, not Tuscaloosa, not new Tuscaloosa or Tuscaloosa light. I would never answer this question for Tuscaloosa 2 or Tuscaloosa 3, but I will answer it for Tuscaloosa. Yeah, yeah. For Tuscaloosa, he asked, what's the last good concert you went to uh, and at what venue? Well, I saw the the aforementioned drive-by truckers about a week and a half ago. At the 40 watt there in Athens, Georgia. So that would that would be the answer for that one. I, I may see JJ Gray and Mofro this weekend. Not sure about that. Might do that. Might see Billy Strings in a couple weekends. Do you, do you have one for us, Tim, or is that pretty much a TR question there? I'm not even embarrassed about it. So I'm gonna tell you now I'm not. I saw Justin Timberlake. Oh damn. In Nashville, and he was he was fantastic. Oh, I, I can see that. With they had, they had a great scene. They did the yo. He started. Uh, I've got friends in low places, and uh, he's like, "Hold it, damn it! I can't do this by myself." And Garth Brooks came up from the bottom of the stage, which was awesome. And from a review, when I looked up, I saw Trisha Yearwood standing in the VIP lounge watching. It was great because I had two guys, two two guys in the well in their twenties together at Timberlake. And then mm-hmm. singing every song, and I, it was very emotional. Like wow. they singing "Cry Me a River," and they had their heads back, and it was. Uh, <laughs> I was like those breakup songs. Like shit, I was like, I won't yeah. do that at any point in my life. But yeah, that's it. I see. I'm jealous. I'd love to see Timberlake, man. It's good. We saw him. I didn't like that denim tour, but I did take. I saw it with the wife, and then we took my. I went to New Orleans. I got my buddy Shelly Dixon with the LSU site, now it on three. And we, me and Shay hung out, and uh, my wife and daughter went and saw it. So mm-hmm. uh, he's, a good, he's, a, he's a good performer. He's a great performer. Hell yeah, he is. Yeah, Absolutely. He's, he's a monster. Tuscaloosa also wants to know, are we going to see any position swaps as we finish up spring and move into fall? Bass guesses, guesses as to who might move who might stick after the move, et cetera. You know, it's a good question, and it's typically this time of year that we see what Nick Saban likes to refer to as positional experimentation. Um, if I were going to guess, I would say maybe players in the secondary, right, going from corner to safety. Um, you know, we, we've seen some young guys like Antonio Kite and uh, some others, but, uh, you know, they've added some solid players at the safety position for sure. When you talk about Caleb Downs and uh, some other guys there. So uh, maybe they don't have as much of a need. That's in other words, that's typically the areas where I look, Tim, when I think about positional experimentation. I, I think linebacker, too, if you consider that uh, moving, they've cross trained guys between uh you know, guard, I'm mean, excuse me, outside linebacker, inside linebacker, and even on the offensive line, similarly, how we've seen Darian Dahlcourt working at guard. Uh, he's a center. Those are pretty interchangeable, though, kind of like inside linebacker and outside linebacker. Yeah. I, you know, the guy I really want to hear some feedback on or see is Emmanuel Henderson in the spring game. I mm-hmm. like how he's doing really good athlete, 
Uh, he's moved around. Um, he's played small ball, so we knew his learning curve was likely a little bit steeper. But I'm excited. I'm excited to see him. He's a heck of an athlete. Everybody talks about what a quality kid he is off the field and a hard worker on the field. So I'm pretty excited about him. Yeah, right now I just don't see where in those prime areas where you see that kind of movement where there are a lot of candidates. Emmanuel Henderson was that kind of guy, right, coming in last year. He was. He you was. had told us time and time again that, look, this guy could play running back, wide receiver, maybe even in the secondary. And as you said, it looks like he settled in at wide receiver, and I'm with you. I really want to see uh, what he's able to bring there to that rotation uh, moving forward. We also have Bama Eng here wrapping up the mailbag. Who do you think makes a bigger impact this year from each of the second-year versus first-year duos? Jam Miller and Justice Haynes, running backs, obviously. Isaiah Bond and Jalen Hale, wide receivers. Earl Little, Caleb Downs, defensive backs. Jihad Campbell, Quay Roussal. That's an outside linebacker in Roussal right now, I guess, and then Campbell working inside. Boy, 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 that's a tough one. I'll go with Jam over Justice just because of the extra year. Interesting. Hmm. Um, I'll go with Isaiah. You know, I've always loved Isaiah. Um, extra year in the system. He was coming on as we saw it. Boy, Little or Downs is tough. I think that could be a dead heat because if Little plays that star position, yeah, he, he's going to be on the field a lot, and Downs is right there in the mix to be one of those two safeties, right? Starters. I'll go with Downs. Yeah, uh, because he's you know he's everything we thought he was and we thought he was everything. So um, I'll go with him. And then that last one, I'll go I'll go with uh, I'll go with Quay Rousseau as an underdog against Jihad. He's been drawing some praise. Uh, Quay's got to beat that you know that freshman you know that freshman thing group where it's harder to probably break through. But I think he's a guy capable of doing it. Bama ends. This is good stuff, man. First that of all, that's, that's, that's um, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm on the Jam Miller train right now, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with him slightly over Justice Haynes. I'm with you on Isaiah Bond. Those are kind of different guys. I guess Jalen Hale could work more inside. I look at him more as an outside guy. I look at Isaiah as a slot, um, but I think Isaiah Bond is in a good spot right now. Or little Caleb Downs. Those are guys that you know little can play corner. He can play star. Downs can play safety. He can play star. Um, I'm going to go Caleb Downs like you did right now. And then I'm with you. Uh, I think on Quay Roussal, more so because I think even if it is Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell as the top two guys, um, there's an opportunity there in some situational roles. If Roussal is able to bring that in the pass rush where uh, he could be impactful. I, I, I agree, though. I think Jod Campbell, when you talk about a spot, in that top three of the inside linebacker rotation, um, he's right there in that. So yeah. uh, I, I guess is it, this, these are some great ones. They're tough. They're yeah. tough, man. It's good. Yeah, that's a good. That's good to see. Is just exactly how good um, and how competitive some of these guys are. Going to be. And you don't look at any of these four and go either way. Alabama might be in a tough spot. I, I think uh, with all four of these, it's a good situation to 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 have a hard time you know, picking one over the other, right? Yeah, I agree. 
That's going to do it for the Roundtable Mailbag. That's going to do it for us on the latest edition of T. Watts and TR here on the Bama Online Podcast. Um, anything else, Tim, before we get out of here? No, that's it. I mean, it's a, uh, you know, the weather's good. We're hitting the, uh, we're hitting our stride. We almost made it to summer. We got spring football, major league mm-hmm. baseball, NBA playoffs. Mm-hmm. So all is, uh, all is well right now. No Luca in the NBA playoffs, man. Wow. And to see them tank, I don't know. It, I mean, the NBA, I mean, people tank all the time, probably more, egregious than what they did but man they sure as hell celebrated tanking you know you got mark cuban over what there. happens with Kyrie now i mean it's i mean if mark cuban saying we feel like Kyrie, you don't know Kyrie. Kyrie sat there mad yeah said in boston arena i'm coming back and it was gone <laughs> and next time he's in the boston arena he was stepping on that little leprechaun <laughs> yeah he got mad as hell that uh i think they call him lucky you know that little mascot he was stepping on it Oh, geez. We from Kyrie, we love you, though, stepping on Lucky. <laughs> so, um, he don't know. There's no telling what Kyrie could do. i tell you this. Kyrie is at the point of leaving some kind of legacy where he needs another, you know, he needs it. He could go somewhere and win a championship and be part of it, sort of cement himself because he's really sort of, you know, not making the playoffs, not Mm-mm. not working out on all these teams. I never mm. thought that Luca and Kyrie was a great matchup. I'm not even sure who you can match up with Luca. He's such a one great one on one player, but I don't know, you know, I don't know who you match up with him, but I didn't think it was it was Kyrie. I would put I would like Durant with Luca a lot more than I would uh That's that's Kyrie. Yeah, that's not bad. Because Durant doesn't need the ball in his hand all the time right and you can kind of play off of each other better in that scenario but yeah it'll be interesting moving forward with that duo out in dallas it'll be interesting at bamaonline.com it is each and every day you need to join us right there at bol uh, our roundtable message board our premium message board is the hangout of choice for alabama fans around the globe so come post up with us there at the roundtable and if you haven't subscribed to this podcast we certainly hope you'll do so Simple as a click or two. If you'd leave us a rating and a review, that would help us out tremendously as well. I enjoyed it, Tim. As always, had a great Good time. time. Yeah. See you next week. That's right. We'll and be back and uh, we'll be with you. Absolutely. A lot more happening by then, too. Yeah, exactly. At the roundtable. Everything's going to be right there for you at BamaOnline.com. For Tim Watch, Travis Schreier. Thanks for joining us here on the podcast. Until next time. So long, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.